0: ladies gentlemen everyone listening welcome back to the diamond duo podcast episode 61 of said podcast my name is tom bauer joined as always by tony puglisi and we are here to break down the biggest news in baseball from the past two weeks because we haven't released an episode in that period of time this episode is also brought to you by las vegas because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but when things happen in Oakland, they don't stay in Oakland, because all their sports teams have left the building, everyone. Oh yeah, we're keeping it topical right off the bat here on the Diamond Duo Podcast. I could have gone in a completely different direction, Tony. I did not feel like wanting to censor that intro, though, but don't worry, there'll probably be some uh, censoring later on in the episode, should we bring that subject up. But hope you're all doing well listening to the podcast. Tony, I hope you're doing well, too. You went on a vacation recently, too. I did. I am doing well. Hello, everyone. actually took a trip down to Myrtle Beach
1: with my girlfriend. Very fun time. Spent a little weekend there. Drove down Wednesday night. Drove back Sunday morning. Pretty much all day Sunday. Tom, you would know what that's like. It's not fun. Although I do got to tell you, I actually didn't tell you this earlier. We didn't hit that much traffic going back up that I thought we would. Really? We hit traffic, obviously. We hit traffic. We didn't hit it in the capital, strangely. We hit it just outside of Philly. Like, we didn't go through Philly. It didn't take us through there. But just outside of the city, I forget what the city was called. It started with a W. We were driving out there, and it just got snail's pace slow. Like we had, We had to pull off around there to get gas, and there was a Wawa, so naturally we got food. Nice. You know what I tried there, actually? We got breakfast there. I'm, like, shooting between, like, 15 different conversation points, but this reminded me. I got, I think it was a panini. It was, like, bacon, pepperoni, mozzarella, and one other thing in there, dude. It was the first time I got something that uh at Wawa that wasn't a cheesesteak. It was so f***ing good. Mm-hmm. You cannot, Wawa does not miss. Like, I heard the story of why Wawa isn't in New York is because New Yorkers were too impatient. Like, New Yorkers await <laughs> 10- minutes at a Dunkin' Donuts for a crappy sandwich or Starbucks for overpriced brown sh water, but you won't wait five to ten minutes for an amazing cheesesteak from Wawa. Like, get the f real, New York. Come on. We're still better than New Jersey, but that New Jersey's got an enormous dub in that that regard.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's at least what you think. Just think if the internet existed when Wawa made that decision, then you would have been fine, because you could order ahead of time if you have the Wawa app, such as myself. I am the Wawa lover, as displayed on my baseball card that's now available, by the way, on the Diamond Duo podcast social media pages i yes uh, that was a surprise that i made back in january and i completely forgot to post them at the beginning of the season so fair late than never on that but going back to your point that's why new york sucks their sports teams are fine i adore them everything <laughs> else about it sucks I would just like to point that out.
1: Yeah, the sports teams are fine, but the Yankees can't hit nor stay healthy, and the Islanders are the Minnesota Twins of hockey, so hooray for us, I guess.
0: Yeah, and the Mets have an ace up their sleeve that is, um, may have had some <laughs> sticky stuff, up his sleeve possibly but we'll get to that later on in the episode we missed that from last week but while we're at it let's just get right into the disclaimers tony because we have a lot to do this time around we've got major headlines that we'll be sorting through some stuff that we missed from last week some stuff that we're going to add to this week and of course our first edition of 2023 Our Teams of the Month is returning. You will get that later on in the episode where Tony and I each draft a team consisting of the best players of the month of April. I guess you can throw March in there too, because why not? We probably could have done Teams of the World Baseball Classic, but we didn't have any time for that. So, sucks to suck. We're not doing that. And no, we're not going back and doing that either. That's ridiculous. We're recording on, not September, on Saturday, April 29th. (laughs) I wish it was September. Weekly episodes are back, as it says on the rundown. Eh, Not so fast. Didn't have one last week. May have an issue again next week, but stay tuned. We'll maybe announce something if that's the case. So we shall see. By the way, it's about 8.30 at night on April 29th on this Saturday, so obviously we're not going to be covering anything that happens After that time period. But if you do want to keep up to date with our content, go follow us on social media at the Diamond Duel Podcast on Instagram, at Diamond Duel Pod on Twitter. If you want to see show content, updates, and more, such as our baseball cards that we did or our preseason predictions that i just released literally a few days ago a month after we made those predictions but again it's better late than never to do these things so that is that tony i believe we've got all the disclaimers out of the way uh would you care to add anything else or do you just want to jump into the biggest conversation of the night
1: i am all good yet You hit everything, so I am more than willing to get down into these major headlines because, like you said, we've got a lot of them. And the one at the tippy-top of our list, like Tom said, it's a doozy. We teased it in the intro. The Oakland A's will soon be no more. The team just secured a spot of land in Nevada. It's right along the Vegas Strip, uh, right next to where the Raiders play. Another Oakland migrant. They're going to be fully located... uh, what the f*** did I just say? Relocated. <laughs> what? There you go. How do you relocate? <laughs> They'll be fully relocated by 2027, the latest. And it will bring an end to Oakland baseball. California will now only have to have four baseball teams, Tom. Poor them. Oh, I don't know how they're going to survive. feel so bad for them. It's poor Californians. Them and their polluted air.
0: Oh, was that a throw? Oh, okay. <laughs> no,
1: that, no, I'm... I, sure. I, I, I
0: okay, I, I didn't know that was a throw. We didn't record last week, so obviously, again, we're shaking the rust off. Tony had re-rocated. I didn't know that that was a throw. Um... <laughs> So I'll just jump right into this. Um, Yeah, they do have land in Las Vegas. They will possibly become the Las Vegas Athletics. We don't know if the name will change. I'm assuming it'll stay. They try to work a deal out with the city of Oakland for many, many years, for probably the past like 23 years at the very least, because they've gotten aging sh- hole that's been taken over by a possum that we took care of in the last episode <laughs> uh, so if you want to hear more about the oakland possum then go listen to our deep drive to left in episode 60 of this podcast but the possum has evicted the a's or at least will evict them in 2027 because let's be honest that possum's going to outlive the athletic stay in oakland and that's really really sad and you can blame john fisher the asshole owner of the Oakland A's, who essentially kicked the Raiders out of Oakland, if I'm not mistaken, because the A's kind of bitched a moan to the city that we want to be the team of Oakland, and then Mark Davis said, screw you, left for Vegas, and now the Athletics are taking the exact same approach, and it was actually really funny, Tony, because I was reading that Vegas obviously wasn't going to—Oakland obviously wasn't going to extend their lease for the stadium— for a certain point, but then I heard the Vegas deal may might have been off the table at one point because I heard that had to be approved and there was a little bit of doubt that that could happen. So, that would have been funny if Oakland said piss off and Vegas said piss off and the Oakland A's had nowhere to play. <laughs> <sighs> Maybe then Rob Manfred would have forced John Fisher to sell the team. Oh, wait a second. He works for the owners. He's not going to be able to do that. Not only does John Fisher not give half a about the city. The city also has no leverage because it's a money-bereft sh**hole, as Tony put in the rundown so accurately. But also, Rob Manfred pretty much said, yeah, you know what? I agree with the guy I work for. The fans suck. We're not making money there. Let's move to Vegas where we didn't think that we could play there 20 years ago because of gambling and all that. Now we're embracing it. We still don't have Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame. We're going to make a lot more money in Vegas because everybody wants to watch baseball in sweltering 120-degree heat where you can fry an egg on the side of a fucking road. Who doesn't want to do that? Hopefully it's a domed stadium. I beg you, Las Vegas, please still a dome. But then again, this is John Fisher we're talking about. If this is funded by him at all, which it's probably going to be public funds because he's a scumbag, it's probably not because he's going to have to save money. And we all know that retractable roof is probably too much money for the poor Oakland A's owner. Oh, he doesn't have enough money. Well, if he builds a billion dollar stadium out in Vegas, clearly the money's there. The revenue will be there. But some reason he didn't want to keep that in Oakland. Obviously, again, the city has something to do with it, which Tony can explain if he wants to, or he can take it in a different direction. If you want to read about their tumultuous history between the A's trying to get a new stadium and the city of Oakland saying, fuck you, essentially, then you can read about that on your own because there's a lot of details that we could go into that we cannot get into in this podcast. But there's a lot of blame going around between John Fisher and Rob Manfred, rightfully so. The fans are getting screwed.
1: They're getting absolutely screwed. I mean, I saw a bunch of videos going around the internet around the time the deal was actually made public. And it was from that run in the mid-2010s when they still had Josh Donaldson and Sonny Gray and Steven Vogt and everybody. I think Billy Butler was on the team. And that place was packed every single night. I remember that playoff series they had against the Tigers. I'm pretty sure they actually won. And the fans were going crazy when Coco Crisp hit that walk-off hit. It sucks. It really does suck. Because Oakland, despite the attendance figures the past few years is a baseball town. It's just not been a thriving one because ownership clearly doesn't give a sh**. Although, as much as I want to blame ownership, because you could absolutely blame ownership, the city, like Tom said, has zero leverage. There is a reason Oakland has lost three professional sports teams now. They lost the Raiders. They technically lost the Warriors. I'm pretty sure they went up to the Bay Area Downtown San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Now they're losing the A's. Quite possibly the most famous of the teams, of those three teams, and most uh, decorated. Or I, I suppose the Warriors had that run. I don't care. F- basketball. When it comes to their history, the A's have been around since 1901. Not in Oakland, but in general. I'll get to that not Oakland part in a minute, because in case you didn't know, not the first time the A's have moved. They've... Although they have been called the A's the entire time, but I'll get to that in a second. The city of Oakland, I remember this, Tom, in that weird, like, middle period a couple years ago, because it was always bouncing between, oh, the A's are definitely gonna move, or hey, this Howard Terminal idea is gonna go over really well. Just an area in downtown Oakland by the water where we could build this really nice stadium, and it always seemed like the perfect outcome. The impossible outcome, but the perfect one. We all knew the city was never gonna pay for it, and that every time that A's ownership and the city officials actually met, the city always wanted to throw stuff in about infrastructure and that the A's would pay for certain things around the city because the city itself doesn't have the funds to pay for it because, I repeat, Oakland is a hole. But no, this has been marching on for years. It was basically just a ticking time bomb waiting to go off. It does really suck for the fans, but like I mentioned earlier, this is not the first time the A's have been relocated. They actually started out in 1901 as the Philadelphia Athletics, and they won a good chunk of World Series out there with famous, uh, Hall of Fame talents like Jimmy Fox and eventually Ty Cobb later in his career. After that, in 1955, they were the Kansas City Athletics. Um, and then from 1968 onward, due to a long, honestly, really interesting story about... Um, it honestly involves, like, American politics. The Kansas City Athletics were moved under the nose of Kansas City Senator Stu Simon... Uh, what's his name? I think it was Stu Symington. Something like that? I'm not sure. Either way, under his nose, and he basically demanded that Kansas City get another team, and that's how the Royals were born. But that's a history lesson for another time. 1968, they became the Oakland A's, won three World Series in a row in the 70s, and they've been a damn good baseball town ever since. The attendance figures during the 90s and the steroid steroid era will tell you that. So yeah, this is an absolute loss for baseball, and especially baseball in Oakland. Tom, you can absolutely tell that by their first home game back since the deal, I think it was actually this past weekend, there were fans draping signs over the outfield fence saying, Fisher sucks, Fisher must go, sell Fisher, not the A's. It was great. It's always good when folks just are unabashedly against the owner of their team. It's always so funny to me, but here it's so warranted. John Fisher has not been a good owner for the A's, even though, again, I don't put 100% of the blame on him. Some of it needs to go to the city for being so financially irresponsible and inflexible. You can't not fully blame John Fisher. Uh, Sorry, mostly... Blame John Fisher, I misspoke. Truly unfortunate situation for the A's and their fans. Hopefully they find a good future in, uh, I almost said in Oakland, in Las Vegas. But I will say this, Tom, you mentioned how maybe John Fisher will not open the vaults, maybe not. John Fisher is now trying to win over a Vegas fan base that has become rabid recently with the success of the Vegas Golden Knights, who I think are about to move on to the second round if they haven't already, I think they actually have, and the prospective success of the Raiders. I say perspective because they're the Raiders. You can never know what to expect. He's going to win them over. He wants to win them over by spending big on a nice stadium and blue chip free agents and great trade assets. The second this team moves, they're going to absolutely open the vaults. I mean, look what happened with the Raiders. Pinched pennies all the way down to the very end. The second they move to Vegas, Devontae Adams. Bang. Boom. Derek Carr sucks. Get him out. Let's get a nice shiny new quarterback in there. So I don't know. It does suck for the fans, but... I guess it's good for Las Vegas, which is now becoming basically a major American sports city with three teams there now.
0: Yeah, and it's weird that Vegas now has this reputation as a great thriving sports town. Who could have figured? It's a well-touristed area. You've got franchises who certainly always make themselves interesting, especially with the Raiders always being unpredictable and the Golden Knights always being extremely successful since they were an expansion team. Into the NHL back in 2017. And even the NBA will probably expand into Las Vegas at some point in the near future because you already have that stadium that's made for hockey out there, T Mobile Arena, I believe it's called. Hell, you can put a basketball team in there. Why not? It's clearly worked before, not in Brooklyn with the Islanders, but that's a whole different story for a whole different podcast. (laughs) Tony's disappointed. (laughs) He was shaking his head so much.
1: (laughs) If you say that word, you disappoint me. We don't talk about what happened yesterday. This
0: is a baseball podcast, Thomas. <laughs> uh any rate, it's good to have teams there because, again, they make money. It's an attractive sports destination. It's a growing city. So that's good for them. Oakland, definitely not the case. It's probably exactly quite the opposite of Las Vegas. I could probably compare Oakland more to Atlantic City than I can to Las Vegas, which is not good. So, I feel like, because you mentioned that the attendance numbers were so good in the 90s, it's almost as if Moneyball made the Oakland A's relevant, but at the same time, it made them irrelevant. Maybe this is a long-term consequence of the thing they still practice to this day. At least John Fisher does. Now, he was not the owner of the team, I would like to point out, when it began. He bought the team back in 2005, and then he brought full equity in the team later down the line. So now he is the full, um, vesting partner, however the hell you want to call it financially. It doesn't matter. So I still think that did screw the A's. I looked at John Fisher's net worth. His net worth is only actually $2.4 billion, which probably wouldn't even be enough to buy a sports franchise (laughs) nowadays. So that's all 2.4 billion. Now I only say that Because he's a penny pincher, but maybe he doesn't have as enough money as we think he does. I'm not trying to defend him at all, because he can clearly put the money into the team if he wanted to, and I bet you that net worth is going to go skyrocketing once he builds a new stadium, a new shiny stadium in Las Vegas. He could have done it in Oakland if he really wanted to. That's all I'm saying. He didn't have to be an asshole about it if he wanted to. He could have kept things very vague, but he chose not. To do that. And because you don't invest in your team in a winning product for stars that people want to see, you don't have that. Oakland, I do know one thing. They have one of the most passionate fan bases for baseball in the entire league. They've never had the attendance figures, at least when I've been alive, maybe outside of playoff appearances and some really good runs like Tony was mentioning. I bet you if they had a better stadium, maybe things would be a lot different because all i'm saying is tampa doesn't have a good stadium either but you don't hear tampa fans bitching and moaning when they threaten to move the city of the franchise that's all i'm saying oakland they were complaining and they were begging for their team not really complaining they were begging for their team to stay i don't necessarily see that with some other markets like tampa for oakland clearly the devotion is there but unfortunately, economics and being penny-pinching, that kind of killed the Oakland A's as they are. And honestly, they are planning a reverse protest where the fans are going to prove that they're not the problem by apparently packing the whole of a stadium. That's not really going to do anything now. But after that... I really hope they only have less than a 1,000 people in the stands at every single game. Make them as little money as humanly possible. Hell, if there's some way to make them operate at a loss on every single game day and every single home game, I hope that is the case. Just so that way it screws John Fisher and Major League Baseball a little bit. Because you never want to see a team leave a devoted market like Oakland. Again. Not the strongest market, certainly not the biggest market, but a new stadium and some investment probably would change the public opinion.
1: 100% agree. Absolutely terrible for the people of Oakland, also for the vendors and workers at Oakland Stadium. They put up with mm-hmm. that sh-hole of a building every single day that have to moonlight as possum catchers. I feel bad for the players, the guys who are like in their prime, or at least would be in their prime if they weren't in that talent vacuum. Although, the individuals I don't feel as bad for because they might actually have a very unique opportunity coming up. Tom, imagine being a prospect in the Oakland farm system right now. That's still a few years away. Or, moreover, maybe even better, the first-round draft selection that the Oakland A's select this year in the draft when they inevitably get, like, a top-three pick unless the lottery f**ks them, which, you know what, it's the A's. I wouldn't put anything past them anymore. (laughs) Imagine, you're like... Three, four years away from your big league debut. If you're a first rounder, maybe sooner. And you get to be that young star that debuts for the Las Vegas A's. Which I'll just, my two cents on that. They're probably going to stay the A's. They've been the Athletics their entire existence. If they change it now, there's going to be ton of people complaining about it. Myself included. But no, imagine being that kid. You're the bright young star for a new expansion team, quote-unquote. Not, not, that's the that's wrong term for it. A relocated team. And the local crowd loves you immediately. I'm thinking like a Rusty Staub with the Montreal Expos type thing. Or a Jeff Conine with the Marlins. You get to be Mr. A's, even though there's been a ton of them in the past because you won over that Vegas market like that. So for that young man, it's going to be a hell of a good experience. But for most everyone else involved, just tragic just tragic. All-around bad situation, unless you're from Vegas. That being said, Tom, what's say we shift from one poverty franchise to another poverty franchise? Except this time, it's actually good news about a poverty franchise, and this is something I did not think we'd say on this show this quickly. The Pittsburgh... Pirates. This isn't the segment, but number one, Tom, how are they even this good? How are they even good? Period. In case you folks haven't been paying attention, the Pirates are not just somewhat of a good baseball team. They're not just at 500. They're not just surprisingly competing. They are pacing. The AL Central, NL Central, sorry, at the start of, at the time of this recording, they're a game and a half up on the Brewers, four and a half up on the Cubs, and mother of God, wait, the Cardinals are in last place. I just noticed this. That's mm-hmm. hilarious. God damn it, Tom, our brackets for the NL Central are almost upside down. <laughs> this is kind <laughs> of hilarious. I, I'm almost glad it's this wrong, but that, that's not why we're talking about them. It's going to come into play because as a result of this good, two Pirates have been extended, a player and a coach. The player is Brian Reynolds. He is finally off the wagon. Is he going to be traded? Is he going to be extended? Is he going to be lowballed? Is he going to be overpaid? The verdict is in, and the verdict is low-key underpaid. He got extended for eight years at $106.75 million. There's a club option for a ninth year and no opt-outs whatsoever. So he's stuck here if this was just all smoke and mirrors and the pirates implode and lose 100 games again. <laughs> um, So he's here long-term, and someone else who's here is Pirates' manager, Derek Shelton. He's worked his way into an extension. We actually don't know the terms of that one yet, but his contract was set to end after this season, so the Pirates saw what he's been able to do, and I think the only three or four years he's been here, and they like what they see. I mean, frankly, you gotta you got to attribute at least some of this to the manager. Quite frankly, I attribute a good chunk of it to the manager. Because getting prime play out of guys like Andrew McCutcheon towards the end of his career, Jack Zawinski who's been unproven so far, and mainstays like a Brian Hayes and Brian Reynolds, everything's clicking right now. It's honestly really good to see because Pittsburgh's another town like Oakland where when they're clicking, they can have loud playoff games. I'm thinking of that wild card game where they were chanting Johnny Cueto's name, but no, it's like it's honestly the polar opposite of the Oakland story. This is really good to see for Pittsburgh fans, Tom, and good for Brian Reynolds too. If if they actually do remain competitive, he definitely could have gotten paid more, but that just shows his devotion to the city, which I can honestly really respect. Not a ton of folks will do that in today's game. Cough, cough, Juan Soto, but also
0: just good for him. I, I like the loyalty. Now, I will talk about Brian Reynolds and Derek Shelton in a minute. I would like to point out that this is perfect timing that we are recording this because, Tony, the Pirates are winning 16 to nothing right now. What? (laughs) They're winning 16 to nothing in game two of a doubleheader. Now, I would like to point out they're playing the Nationals. (laughs) So that is why. But they are winning 16 to nothing in the top of the ninth right now. And you know things are bad because Lane Thomas is on the mound for the Washington Nationals.
1: <laughs> they also pulled both Hayes and Reynolds for Drew Maggie, who has an
0: RBI, and Miguel Andujar, who has three RBIs. <laughs> That's another thing, is Drew Maggie, by the way. First of all, I, I think he was optioned back down today. Like, I think he will be optioned back down. But. I I think that's why I saw I could be completely wrong, but he did get his moment in the sun, obviously. As I would like to point out, this guy's been in the minors for over 10 years, I believe, like 1,300 or some odd games, maybe more, maybe less, but I know it's over 1,000 probably. And he's like 33 years old, and he finally got his chance to shine in the majors. Even if he only gets a few at-bats, at least he can say he made it. So huge congratulations to Drew Maggie right there. Now... That being said, I sh you not when I say this, the Pirates are going to be the second team to 20 wins in this MLB <laughs> season. Cause they are nineteen and eight entering this game, and they're going to be twenty and eight after they curb stomped the Washington Nationals hey, officially. Hey.
1: It ain't over till it's over.
0: I, I that's why I put might, I think, in that <laughs> sentence. If I didn't, then oops, my bad. They might curb stomp the Washington Nationals. Woo. But That is extremely weird to say because nobody would have expected this. Let's be completely honest. If you had the Pittsburgh Pirates doing any of this, you should give me your odds for the Mega Millions. You should give me the numbers that you think are going to hit because (laughs) you're pretty good at judging things and guessing things. Back to Brian Reynolds. Like you mentioned, eight-year deal, 106.75 mil. He's got that club option, and he's got that no-trade clause or no opt-out, whatever it is. I think there's a trade clause in this contract, and I believe it was either the opt-out or the trade clause or both that prevented a deal from getting done earlier than this. But now he may have compromised seeing how good the Pittsburgh Pirates are and actually how decent of a farm system they have. It'll still be years away before those prospects come to play outside of O'Neill Cruz. They are absolutely playing well this year. Now, that being said, when they went on the winning streak, by the way, they're going to be 9-1 and in their last 10. They're going to be 10-1 and in their last 11 after, uh, again, Jesus they might curb stomp the Washington Nationals. Yeah, exactly. In that time span, they've played the Colorado Rockies, the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, those are teams that are nothing. You got the Washington Nationals, but they did win their series against the Dodgers, I would like to point out, this past week. And the game they lost, Damn. it was a one-run game. It was 7-8 to eight they, they ended up losing. Other than that, then they hailed the Dodgers to three runs in two games. So, honestly, hats off to the Pittsburgh Pirates for that. Um, I'm going in so many different directions. I didn't even finish my thoughts on Brian Reynolds. Jesus Christ. I'll, I'll leave it at this for Brian Reynolds. He could have gotten a lot more money, should have gotten a lot more money. But, you know, what? if you want to be loyal to your team and your city, God bless you. You do it. Take the Jose Ramirez path. Take significantly less for what then you can get. ...on the free agent market. In terms of Derek Shelton, well, we don't know the terms, as Tony mentioned, but we do know that this definitely has to be attributed to their very, very hot start. If they didn't start this hot and they were ice cold, he probably would have lasted the entire season, but to be honest, he probably wouldn't have gotten another season. But the reason why his team is doing so well is because people are stepping up. Brian Reynolds has an average over 300. Connor Joe has almost won war. He's their number two in war. Andrew McCutcheon is having a resurgence at the age of 36 back in the city where he developed his career to become that superstar. Jack Swinsky, like you mentioned, he's actually leading the team in war. He's almost got a 400 OBP. Dear God in heaven. And who needs O'Neill Cruz? He's hurt cabrine hayes he's not an offensive weapon at all but he's playing some damn great defense and if he doesn't win the gold glove this year listen i love nolan arenado but it's cabrine hayes to lose at this rate and even then the pitching is actually halfway decent like joan aviedo is their ace you can say and he's got an eRA of 303 that's good david bednar is one of the best closers in baseball honestly their bullpen is pretty solid outside of bednar too jose hernandez has an under one ERA. You probably don't know who Jose Hernandez is, but I bet you do now. Now that I said he has an under one ERA, there you go. I didn't even know him. He's got an ERA plus of 480. Dear God, and David Bednor's got an ERA plus of 591 in 12 games. Holy s***. Sh-. any rate, it's clear what's going on. The Pittsburgh Pirates are, yes, overachieving very, very much, but at least it's a sign that this franchise is up in the right direction like we love clowning on the pittsburgh pirates and any team that sucks but it's good to see when these teams actually play very well it, you have to admire Derek shelton for the job he's done andrew mccutcheon maybe a little bit for that veteran presence and they don't even have their star player and they're playing out of their minds honestly good for pittsburgh
1: very good for pittsburgh I'd just like to point out one thing before we move on. When we did our preseason predictions, and I predicted the Pirates to finish in 5th. Below the Reds, I said the Reds would finish above them because they had intriguing prospects. They had really good prospects with awesome upside, like Spencer Steer and Jose Barrero, and pitchers like Graham Ashcraft and Nick Lodolo. Of those four, one of them is definitely MLB, like serviceable, level, Graham Ashcraft. Spencer Steer still needs to develop, but he's, he's showing promise. Uh, Barrero and Lodolo, hit or miss, they may still need time. Yeah, the Pirates are absolutely making me eat in that argument because so many of their guys are young, so many of their guys are breaking out. One pitcher you actually didn't mention was Mitch Keller with 40 strikeouts already on the year and a 3-5-3 ERA. Solid from a former top prospect in the club. Congrats, Pittsburgh, you are legitimate for a change. Now, don't do something stupid and buy at the deadline. Oh my
0: God! Please don't do that. Like we <laughs> we were berating the Orioles for selling at the deadline last year. Honestly, no, no, no. the Pittsburgh Pirates. No, no, no. You were berating them. I was giving them credit because I thought it was smart. I mean, it was smart. Let Let's be honest. I was just I just get pissed off when teams are actually good and can make the playoffs for the first time in a while, and then they decide to sell. Well, now I've seen what happens. Yeah, they're gonna have to sell. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest, they've got an 18.6% chance to make the postseason. I don't think it's going to go up that much more throughout the rest of the season, but embrace it while you can, Pittsburgh fans, because that's not going (laughs) to last a very long time, I don't think. I'm sorry to admit, but once you play great teams, it's going to go down. All right, so that'll kind of wrap up our Pittsburgh Pirates discussion. If there's more success that they have, then we'll talk about the Pittsburgh Pirates more throughout the podcast. To be quite honest, I didn't think we'd be able to do any Pittsburgh Pirates talk for the positive within the first, I don't know, six months of the year, which is entirely, which is pretty much the entire season. Unless, of course, they brought up a prospect or somebody was playing really well in Pittsburgh, but the team is playing really well and the players are doing well, so we had to give their due shout out. Now, we've got a few more moves on the transaction market that we'll take care of. And then we will um, have a few more things to talk about before we get into teams of the month. Starting off with the NL Central, we're going to keep it there, to talk about Hunter Green. He got an extension for six years and $53 million. That should wipe out his arbitration, so that way he's just getting paid until then, he's got $2 million buyout, he's got twenty a $22 million option for 2029, and he's got various incentives and stuff and escalators that can bring its value to $96.2 million. Okay, I didn't know that was a thing, so that makes the deal a lot more uh, worthy for Hunter Green, because I was about to go on and say, you know what, he's not developed, but this is a cheap deal for somebody who is a top prospect in baseball. Um, now that I see there's incentives and escalators, they might not hit, so it might obviously not get to $96 million worth of a contract, but that's much more worth it for a stud such as Hunter Green. By the way, he can all, they can always buy out the contract, renegotiate something later, if that's the case, but it's a good signing for the Cincinnati Reds. It's probably the only notable thing they'll probably do in the transaction market this year until they inevitably sell at the deadline. Yeah, no, I'm not going to spend
1: too, too much time on this, but it's definitely a steal, especially if he develops. I call him like a Spencer Strider light in terms of what he can do. He was a number two overall pick, so he's got the stuff. He just needs to hone it a little more. Honestly, he works on those secondary pitches. He'll be elite. That's all I need to say. His fastball's already great. It does get hit a little hard, but throw some secondary pitches in there to throw people off. Fastball will come at you way faster. It's what Spencer Strider does. It's what Devin Williams does, even though he doesn't throw 100 solid potential that could be a steal if he becomes an ace which he honestly should speaking of ace potential someone who's a bit on the older side but is pitching like a bona fide ace for the minnesota twins right now is pablo lopez they got him in the offseason in a trade with the marlins and he has pitched really really well for them so far i think he had one or two bad starts but he had a dynamite start to the season and they paid him handsomely to keep his services for four years at 73500000 million. Don't think there are any incentives or clauses, opt-outs, or anything like that. Just a straight extension. Totally earned it. Guy's a nice pitcher. He was my sleeper pick to win a Cy Young last year, and it looked good until June hit. And that's yeah. kind of what you're going to get with Pablo <laughs> Lopez. It's really weird. He always starts the year stupidly hot, and then he'll cool off as the season goes on. Like, if the MLB season was only, like, 50 games, he would win the Cy Young every single season. But... You know, always room to improve. He has great stuff. Wipeout sliders, good sinkers, ground ball pitcher with strikeout potential. Solid arm. 2-3 guy for the Twins, locked up long term. Honestly, the fact that they did that instead of signing Jose Barrios, smartest move the organization could have made.
0: Yeah, honestly, it's a good value for the potential that Pablo Lopez can bring. I actually thought he was in his 30s. He's actually only 27. So he'll be hitting free agency again by the time he's 31. So that's good for him. And he's going to get paid. So at least he can say he's got at least that one big contract in baseball that he was able to accomplish. So that's a congratulations to him. Now, Tony, you mentioned his first few starts are always dynamite. And that's true because his first four starts, he gave up a total of five earned runs in four starts. That's honestly pretty good. That gave him a 173 RA. What's not good is in his next two starts, he gave up 11 earned runs in 10 innings pitched. That oh is God. not good. Yeah, that's not good. He was still striking people out at a very high rate, which is something he is very much known for, but now his ERA jumped to four on the dot, so it's not good. And by the way, those starts, if you're wondering, against the Nationals and the Royals, so not exactly great teams, if we're going to uh, speak it into existence. I mean, f***. We were, just talk- we were just parading the Nationals. They're down 16-0 to the Pittsburgh Pirates at the moment if that score hasn't changed for the better of either of those two teams. And the Royals, they're just going to be bad. So, yeah. That's not good, but it is still a good deal for a guy who's, again, only 27. Has the, I'm not going to say elite stuff. It's the really good stuff. He's probably a B-minus pitcher when you look at it in the grand scheme. But Minnesota needs consistent pitching, and he's a consistent pitcher. Now, those are extensions. We have to talk about somebody who got DFA'd, and this is a very, very notable one who didn't even make it out of his entire contract, obviously, but didn't even make it out of the month of April on his team because Madison Bumgarner has been DFA'd by the Arizona Diamondbacks, and holy shit, I'm looking at the stats now, this was a terrible, terrible tenure that he had in Arizona. He is now 33 years old. He'll be 34 in August. He might be worse off than Dallas Keuchel at this rate. And that is very, very difficult to say because Dallas Keuchel, again, was once an elite pitcher. He won a Cy Young, obviously. Madison Bumgarner didn't win a Cy Young. But he was always really good for the San Francisco Giants, maybe minus that last season he was there. But as an Arizona Diamondback, remember, he signed a huge deal with them. I think it was like six years for like 80 or 90, maybe even $100 million. Here are his total numbers, and then I will throw it to Tony 15 and 32, win loss. Again, 15 and 32, an ERA of 523. He started 69 games, nice, because he was f***ing over the Diamondbacks with that contract. He had one complete game, one shutout, which may have been that BS no-hitter, not-no-hitter yes. thing back in 2020.
1: Yes, it was.
0: <laughs> he gave up 66 home runs in these starts. He gave up 211 earned runs, had 276 strikeouts to 116 walks, with an ERA plus of 80 if you want the breakdown in terms of war i can give you that in a second he has approximately compiled a war of minus 0.5 and he made 70 and he made 71 million dollars while doing that that's all i gotta say about that for now tony you'll you'll obviously have some thoughts on this
1: (laughs) oh i've got thoughts all right but i'm gonna keep them concise so we'll have time for teams of the month. Tom, this might be one of the most depressing, but at the same time, worst contracts in 20th, like 21st century baseball. This is up there with the worst contracts. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking of some of them right now. I'm thinking Jacoby Ellsbury. I'm thinking Albert Pujols. Like, I don't know if you could call this the absolute worst because the term wasn't as long as some of these contracts. But if you look strictly at production during time of the contract this might be towards the bottom of the barrel, because as much as much crap as I'll give Jacoby Ellsbury and, and Aaron Hicks, they were at least productive at one point with their clubs. Like, guys with ridiculously long contracts at least produced towards the beginning of it. Tom, I want to paint a picture of how this was a terrible signing for the Diamondbacks straight away. Everybody knew that in his last couple seasons in San Francisco, you know, Mad Bum's Velo was down, he was getting hit a lot harder. He was telling he was being told to go get balls out of the ocean. That's degrading. That is not <laughs> the That is not the energy that Madison Bumgarner feeds off of. Uh, no, he just feeds off of cursing out Cardinals catchers for no fing reason. You know, his ERA plus was always at least league average when he was in San Francisco. He was never below a hundred when he was there. That's important to note. His best seasons were obviously in the 120s and 130s, but his worst was 2019 when he was at a 107. That's not great, but it's still respectable. The second he goes to Arizona, the minute. He also turned 30 that year too, which granted this was the weird COVID season. ERA plus of 70, ERA plus of 90, ERA plus of 83, ERA plus of 42 in 2023 (laughs) with an ERA north of 10. (laughs) Mother of God, Tom, by the way, can I also paint another picture for you of where the Diamondbacks were at this time? Because this was that, that weird little intersection where they like, just got trounced in the wild card by the Rockies a couple years back. Uh, It might have been in, like, I think that was 2017. Yeah, that was when the Dodgers went to the World Series. It was weird. They, like, fell off the map the next year, and they wanted to blow up, but they instead added, and then they tanked for real, and then they did sell off a lot of guys. Like, they got rid of Patrick Corbin and Paul Goldschmidt. They got rid of Robbie Ray for nothing after 2020. But then somewhere in the middle there, tell Marte went crazy. The team went on a nice winning streak, and they finished at like, I don't remember, like 85 wins, and they decided to buy, and who else did they buy? I know they got a couple free agents. I think they got like, oh my god, it's escaping me, but they brought some like depth guys and Madison Bumgarner to be their ace. Like that just never made sense to me. Why not just keep Patrick Corbin? Why not just let some of your young pitchers develop? Why? Like they did make one trade in there that was good. They traded for Zach Allen awesome move, but the signing made no sense from the get-go, and now it's made all the more evident because he didn't even make it to the end of it. Like, it's depressing because Mad Bum used to be, like, towards the upper echelon of pitchers in the league. He was never the very best, unless it was in the playoffs, but he was always respectable. To be DFA'd like this in a contract towards the tail end of your career is just depressing, and it doesn't make any sense for anybody to pick him up, regardless of what New York fan sports callers will have you believe. It's just not worth it. He's cooked. He's over the hill. It sucks to say, at a relatively young age, I think he's, what, 34? Not young, per se, but compared to when most pitchers are usually out of the league. He's actually 33, by the way. It just sucks. It sucks to see for a guy I grew up watching.
0: It does suck. Um, I'm looking at Twitter right now because I was looking for a quote that just goes to show you how much he was struggling. The Diamondbacks, by the way, if you were curious how much more they had to eat on his contract, it's $34 million that remain on that atrocious deal. Well, I was trying to find, but I couldn't necessarily find it. Essentially, I found an article, or maybe it was a tweet or something. That, I pre- that pretty much said, at this rate, Bumgarner's stuff is so bad and his velo dipped so badly that it's essentially batting practice when you're going against Mad Bum on the mound. And that's really tough to, th- to think of for a guy who at one point was contending for a Cy Young and can still be considered one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time. And we thought the same thing, obviously, of Dallas Keuchel minus the postseason stuff, but it is what it is just happens in Major League Baseball, and it may be the yips, maybe he's just aging, maybe his arm is worse for wear. We don't know, but at least he has the rodeo to fall back on, should he want to. <laughs> and yes, there are stats on his baseball reference page that say how much winnings he has at two rodeo events in 2019. At any rate, let's move on to a sticky situation that happened out in New York, specifically for the Mets, not the Yankees for once, thank God. Although that already happened in our last episode that we talked about. Well, guess what? We're talking about sticky stuff again, very briefly, mind you, in this episode. If we already didn't have teams of the month and other stuff to do, we could probably talk about this for 20 minutes. But let's just get right to brass tacks because this did happen last week. Max Scherzer was ejected and suspended 10 games for quote unquote sticky stuff. Now, he was ejected by home plate umpire Phil Cuzzy who also ejected the other two people who have been ejected and since suspended for foreign substance checks since MLB implemented them. Yes, there have been three total ejections and suspensions. Phil Cuzzy has dished out all of them. So that's a great historical marker for Phil Cuzzy. Good for you. Now, this one's debatable because people are labeling him as either a cheater and that, yeah, that should happen. Some are labeling it as free my man's max um he wouldn't do such a thing but i think we just gotta look at all the facts before we really pick a side and i kind of do know where i lean a little bit towards this one he's the head or one of the heads of mlbpa he very much knows the rules because he negotiated them He's even completely, like, gone on rants about people who do uh, steroids and cheat and all that stuff in the past. So, obviously, something like this wouldn't cross his mind. He hasn't been as good this year. I will say that. Uh, Maybe that's because of injuries or other things. He was throwing all right, I believe, in the game he was. Then Phil Cuzzy told him, you need to remove the uh, sweat and rosin, which Scherzer swore on his life or swore on his kid or whatever, that's all he had on him. So supposedly, and we don't have confirmation from this because MLB obviously isn't going to confirm this because they're jackwagons in themselves and they're only going to defend the umpires because God forbid they punish a f***ing umpire for f***ing up or doing anything terrible. <laughs> not saying this was terrible because, by the way, because he was kind of well in his right for rejecting Scherzer, David Cohn showed that on an ESPN broadcast. Why? Because Scherzer supposedly was told by an MLB official, wipe some alcohol on your hand. I don't know if it's rubbing alcohol or what type it was, but whatever. What David Cohn showed is that with sweat and rosin, that makes the ball even more stickier to the point where Cohn literally had a baseball and his hand facing down, his baseball was sticking to two fingers, and that ball was not going anywhere. It was extremely sticky. And for those saying he could have used soap and water, supposedly... That makes the ball very much more slippery and what not to throw. So obviously, I guess alcohol was within reach, so they used it. And he administered it in the dugout, apparently in front of an MLB official. Again, we're never going to get confirmation on that. And then essentially, the whole thing exploded when Cuzzy went out to check him again. And uh, then Scherzer got ejected, threw a tantrum, and then he had to leave the field. That's pretty much what happened. He didn't even choose to go to arbitration, I guess you could say about it. And I'll let Tony speak about that if he wants to. But again, suspended 10 games. He's serving that suspension right now because of the sticky issue he has. That happened, strangely enough, in New York only a few days earlier.
1: It's definitely a bit strange. And to your point, he didn't protest the suspension because by his own account, he knew he would lose it. Those hearings are pretty much impossible to flip, at least according to him. You know, being so uh, heavily tied to, uh, to the MLBPA, he would definitely know that. And he's also thoroughly familiar with, like you said, Tom, MLB's inability to punish umpires when they're wrong. And oh boy, are they wrong so very often. (laughs) Uh, My take on this is, obviously, I I wasn't there. I don't know exactly. I'm not in Max Scherzer's head. But the guy is insane. The guy is a perfectionist to the point where he... I I remember there was a story one time when he was still in Washington They had some university holding their graduation ceremony in Nationals Park for some reason. It was early enough in the day. It wasn't interrupting the game. And Max was still taking his warm-up pitches in the outfield because that's where he does it every day. So you could see people's names being called and them walking up across the stage. But in the background, Max Scherzer is grunting in the outfield, hucking fastballs at 95, which I always find hilarious. I don't think it would be in Max's mind to say, oh, something's wrong. Might as well use something else. He's going to find it within himself to better himself. That's just how he's done it throughout his whole career. Even when the sticky stuff started coming up, he didn't do it. Why do it now? That's just the way I perceive it anyway. But the one thing I wanted to bring up, Tom, is how Scherzer's agent responded to this. If you didn't know his agent is Scott Boris. If you don't know Scott Boris, good. So uh, (laughs) Boris's response to this was, and I quote, MLB standards and rules enforcement should mandate and require an object, uh, excuse me, a objective, verifiable standard. If you want to attack the integrity and competition, you need clear, precise standards. Else, you damage the game and its players. The cuzzy on-field spectrometer is not the answer. The MLB needs to employ available scientific methods, not subjective methods, to create verifiable. Certainty of its rules. That is the smartest thing I have ever heard Scott Boris say in my life. (laughs) That would take so much power away from umpires, number one, and I love it for that reason alone. And number two, that's just smart. Because, like Tom said about the David Cohn incident, yes, alcohol would make sweat and rosin unbelievably sticky. But what else was he supposed to do there? If that's what the umpire told him to do, why would that immediately lead to another ejection? Especially after, like Tom said, the other New York story, which we're not going to bring up. Like, being able to have an objective way of saying, yes, he's cheating, or no, this is just some weird misunderstanding or inconvenience, I, I think is paramount to having these sticky stuff checks work. Because especially, the fact that Phil Cuzzy's distributing all of these is at least a little bit suspect. Like, I don't know, maybe all three of these guys were cheating. I distinctly remember the first one being Hector Santiago, and I'll admit, he was probably cheating. He kept going to his belt every single time he came out of the game. It, it, it was really weird. This thing with Scherzer, though, I feel like might be a tipping point, considering how big of a name he is and how big he is, especially with the PA. Who knows? Maybe something will come of this, maybe not. But if some objective way of discerning these sticky stuff checks comes into play, I never thought I'd say this, Tom. I'd actually have to thank Scott Boris for bettering the game for the
0: first time probably in his career, because that would be that would be a goddamn marvel. I mean, listen, if Tony LaRusse can influence Twitter's blue check marks, which is a whole different subject, <laughs> uh, Scott <laughs> Boris can most certainly influence a scientific method to be implemented in baseball. And now I would like to also point out, MLB really came down on Max Scherzer and even Rob Manfred was bitching and moaning about it. Probably, and here's a secret guys, the MLBPA is a union. They dictate a lot of stuff that goes on with salary and breakdown and ultimately more money going the players' ways. And with Max Scherzer being one of the lead voices behind that, MLB definitely wanted to stick it to one of their bigger stars not only, but one of the biggest influencers in MLB's PA. So, I would just like to point out, they definitely wanted to make an example, and they did, but in Max Scherzer's case, he should have fought it. He is absolutely right that he would not have won, because MLB is very crooked when it comes to stuff like that, and it was going to be an MLB arbitrator, not a neutral one, which, first of all, is bullshit. <laughs> but they just wanted to make an example out of him, really. That's the big thing from that. But Boris does have a very good point. There needs to be some sort of method. Or maybe you stop allowing teams to bring rosin in the dugout and all that stuff. They can't have rosin in the dugout. Or maybe you have a smaller rosin bag that umpires distribute to players that only they can use, and maybe they have to replace it each inning. I don't know. Maybe if too much rosin is being applied, maybe you should lower the amount of rosin that's in the rosin bag to a more manageable limit. And then you can replace the rosin bag if you need to. But all I'm saying is that could maybe be a potential solution. Because obviously sticky stuff is something we don't want in the game, but rosin is completely legal. Sweat naturally happens when you're out there pitching over 100 pitches a game and being as insane as Max Scherzer is on the mound. I mean, for Christ's sake, just look at a Roldis Chapman. He always has long sleeves, except in Kansas City. But in New York, when he always had long sleeves, it looked like the... Amazon Rainforest when he was on the mound. He would sweat so much. There needs to be some sort of method to kind of be that middle ground to not giving the umpires or really just Phil Cuzzy all that power. And I hope the PA does not let this go to waste with MLB and Max Scherzer keeps berating Rob Manfred and all of them and keeps sticking it to them. Because I do lean on the side of Scherzer a little bit here, especially... If an MLB official said, use this alcohol, and he did, and that didn't do anything. Now we've got one more very quick note that we want to make a note of, and that is the injury corner uh, where we're going to go through some guys who are now going to be hurt for either short periods of time or long periods of time that you should just know of in case for fancy reasons, or maybe they're on your favorite team and you didn't know they were hurt. Who knows? But at any rate, we'll do that before we get into teams of the month so let's just get right into it Jeffrey Springs is having Tommy John surgery that sucks he was one of the top pitchers in baseball this year not only for the Tampa Bay Rays but for just in baseball in general very sad to see that Robbie Ray a former Cy Young winner is done for the season as well due to flexor tendon surgery i believe this is fixing something in his throwing shoulder if i'm not mistaken I don't know where a flexor tendon is. I'm not a doctor. I went to school for communications, so I definitely don't know where a flexor tendon is. But I do know it's definitely probably in his throwing arm, and it sucks that Seattle is not going to have him. Luckily, they got a slew of other guys they can use in that starting rotation, but losing him when this is supposed to be a jumping year is brutal. Last guy I'll talk about is Chris Bubick. He's going under, uh, excuse me, is Chris Bubick going under? I'm not going to struggle with English like Tony does. Chris Bubik to undergo Tommy John surgery as well. I don't know that much about Chris Bubik. I will just say I'm very sorry you have to undergo that. That's all.
1: Uh, It's actually not all. We've got three more injuries. These ones are a little shorter term, but still sucks all the same. One of them, actually all three could have to do with Long Island if you stretch them a certain way, so big rip for us out here. One of them is Long Island legend Logan Ohop. He's missing four to six months with a torn labrum. That absolutely sucks. He was tearing the cover off the ball to start the season. Angels have not had a good hitting catcher since, what, like Mike Napoli? Or that one season where Max Stassi was actually good? Yeah, absolutely terrible for Logan and the Angels, Hopefully he'll be back for a potential playoff push in August, but it's the Angels, I'm not going to hold my breath. Next up, Jacob deGrom, not on the Mets anymore, but I know some Mets folks are still keeping tabs on him to see when he'll get injured, and surprise, it happened in his most recent start against the Yankees of all teams. He's going to the 15-day IL with right elbow, uh, elbow, that's not a word, elbow inflammation. I (laughs) believe this is actually what sidelined him last year, so that's not good especially right elbow elbow inflammation. Why can't I say these two words? Same sort of deal as Robbie Ray. That's his throwing arm. That's not good at all. You're not going to be able to get good extension there, and if the inflammation doesn't go down fast enough, this could quickly spiral into a lot longer than 15 days. You paid for this, Texas. Golden God when he's on the mound, but he's made a blast. <laughs> hoping for a speedy recovery, if possible, for Jacob deGrom. Speaking of hoping for speedy recoveries, oh my god, Tom, the hits just keep coming. Aaron Judge has a hip strain. Apparently, it's a slight hip strain, but a hip strain nonetheless. An IL stint seems likely. God willing, he's not going to be there very long. Honestly, the way they're talking about it, it doesn't seem like a huge deal. It just seems kind of like, hey, you know, take a seat for 10 games. You'll be on the IL for the bare minimum. Let it heal. Come back at full strength. I'd rather 10 days now than 60 days in May, so I'll take it for what it is. God willing, it's just that small strain, but hoping the captain is not out of commission for very, very long, because he was off to a good start. And now that will be it for the injuries. (laughs) Um, Again, like we said, lightning quick, we want to rattle these off, because we are going to get into the main segment of this show, and that's Teams of the Month, a segment we are reviving from last season and the season before. For those who don't know how this works, Tom and I are going to participate in a snake-type draft where we pick players for each position, including DH, starter, and closer, to fill a team based on their performance in April, or March 2, I suppose. And like I said, we're going to do it snake-like, so whoever picks first will go first, obviously. Then the next person will go, and they'll technically pick twice. So it'll go 1-2-2-1-1-2-2 until we finish up. Two important things to note about this draft, and then Tom, I will throw it to you if you've got anything else to add. Maybe I forgot something. Number one, we are going to have a timer in terms of how long we get to pick a player. I like to call it the pick clock. Get it instead of the pitch clock. And the NFL draft is happening. Haha, <laughs> I'm funny sometimes. Not uh, one of these. Either not, way,
0: not one of these times.
1: <laughs> either way, we're gonna have, to have bleh, we're gonna have a timer up. Tom, important question. <laughs> How long did we have it as last year? I forgot to write that down.
0: <laughs> two minutes.
1: It was. Okay, so we're going to have two minutes to pick a player. God willing, we'll never go that that long. But just in case someone takes our guy, we need a minute to reevaluate our strategy. We're going to have a two-minute timer. If there's silence, you're not going to hear it because it's going to get cut out anyway. So that's going to expedite the process. And speaking of expediting the process, number two, when Tom and I get towards the end of the draft, because... You know, we could screw each other over with who we take as DH, which by the way, any available hitter we could take as DH. It doesn't have to be any position. He doesn't have to be exclusively a DH. He's just any player that's on the board. It's when we're just filling the holes, you know, I picked a first baseman, Tom still needs one, and both of us filled our DH. Just to speed things along, we're going to go two picks at a time. Just again, to kind of expedite things, you'll get it more when we get there. It's kind of hard to explain. Tom, if you've got anything to add, feel free to add it here, and then we'll jump right into this.
0: Yeah, one thing that we probably will add at some point, obviously not this time around because this is our first time doing it for the baseball season, is we might be putting some restrictions on who we can pick in the following months. So for example, if I were to pick Aaron Judge this month, I might not be able to pick him again the next month. Or if I do, then he might be off the board entirely for the month of June. Maybe we can lock in people. Say, again, I take Judge. Maybe I want to lock him in as an automatic for my team. Tony would get a lock as well. But we're working on the idea. It's not going to be implemented, obviously, this time around because, again, it's our first edition of the year. But just know we might be doing that so that way we can diversify our teams a little bit shine some spotlight on some other players, and so that way Tony doesn't have Aaron Judge three months out of probably the five that we did it last season. So with that out of the way, Tony, how are we going to pick who goes first?
1: Unfortunately for this year, beginning of last year, I had an overly-sized dime. It was plastic. We would always flip that, but I've since lost it. So I'm going to go the boring route and ask Siri to do it for me because I'm lazy. Tom, I'll have you call it. Would you rather heads or tails?
0: I will go heads. All right, cool. Hey Siri. Hey Siri. Oh wait, sure hang do... on. There yeah, it go. might help. Also, please do Flip it into the coin. microphone and turn your volume up.
1: Uh, 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 there we go. Flip a coin. She didn't
0: say anything, but I'm showing Tom right now. It's heads. Okay, I do see it. That is confirmed. So I will be picking first. <laughs> I feel like that's a. I feel also, like why that would ha- I lie? Yeah, also that too. I feel like this happens a lot where I pick first for whatever reason. The odds are in my favor usually for this. I think I've picked first. I'm not going to go back and look at it because I'm not a madman, but I'm pretty sure I've picked first like 70% of the time we've done this. Maybe more. Okay, Tony, you can hit start right now. And I'm not going to need a very long time to know who my selection is going to be because I've been thinking about it and I could have gone in a few different directions. However, I'm going to go with the player that's been the best all-around player in baseball to start the year, someone who was hurt a lot of last year. With the first overall pick this time around, I'm selecting outfielder of the Atlanta Braves and superstar Ronald Acuna Jr. He will be my outfielder of choice to start things off. Obviously, again, this is a snake draft, so I believe Tony has the next two picks in a row, if I'm not mistaken. That's how we did it last year, right? Yeah, he gave me a thumbs up. So that's going to suck for me that he's probably going to take the two players who I'd want the very most next time around, but that's okay. There's plenty of players to pick from. Ronald Acuna, though, I will go over his stats. Again, the best overall player in baseball, at least through April 29th when we are doing this. He's got the most war in baseball with 1.8, at least in terms of batters. He's stolen 13 bases, which if I'm not mistaken, might be a league leading category, I so. but I, I think so too. He's got four home runs, 23 runs, 14 RBIs, batting average of three fifty two, and OBP of four forty, slugging of five he He's got an OPS of ten o four. I would go OPS plus on baseball reference, but... Baseball reference is usually a game or two behind when giving stats, so I am not going to be using that. So Ronald Acuna Jr., the first overall pick this time around.
1: All right, solid pick. Tom, feel free to start my timer right about now. I'm not going to need a ton of time for my first pick. My second pick, we'll see. Maybe I'll ponder just a wee bit.
0: I've started, by the way, just so you know.
1: That's cool. I'm not going to need a ton of time. My first pick is going to be an infielder, someone else who was injured a little bit last year. Of course. Uh, This individual is actually Tom's favorite player of all time. Shut up. Because he he did so good for Tom's team last year, and he's carrying that momentum into this season. I'm kidding. It's the exact opposite. He sucked for Tom. Now he's good for me in my other fantasy league anyway. I don't have him in the Diamond Duo one. I'm going to stop dawdling. It's Max Muncy, third baseman of the LA Dodgers, only real consistent bat in their lineup, not named Will Smith, and he has been just fantastic so far to start the year. I like Acuna in terms of the all-around pick. My Muncie pick is because of the godly sledgehammer he possesses whenever he enters the batter's box. I'll give you some of the (laughs) highlights. An OPS of 1152 that is tagged by a 426 on on-base percentage. He's got 11 home runs of his 19 hits. 11 is the league lead, by the way. 22 ribbies is up there with some of the best in baseball. 20 walks to 27 strikeouts. A killer war so far for a guy who doesn't play outstanding defense on baseball reference. It is listed at a crisp 1.5. That's top three in baseball. One of the best hitters in baseball right now. His strikeout numbers, you know, they're obviously going to be high. He's becoming a little more three true outcomey as he ages. I doubt he's going to be here next next month unless he still somehow hits 50 million home runs. But for the time being, I think he's been baseball's best hitter through April. I'm more than comfortable selecting him with my first pick. Now, Tom, for my second pick. I feel like you don't know where I'm going with this, because I could go a couple different avenues. I could go for position scarcity, which I low-key want to do. I was going to go another route. I'm going to hope you leave this guy on the board for a couple reasons, but I'm not going to give away more than that. So I, right now, am going to fill in actually another spot in my infield. I'm going to fill my second base hole, and that is going to be filled with Marlins hitter Luis Arise. Ooh, you asshole. Now, haha, that's how I know I got a good pick. <laughs> oh, now let's f- go. Anyway, let's talk about the second coming of Ichiro Suzuki himself, Luis Arise. I feel like I could just give you one number for this guy, or actually two, and you would understand why I'm picking him. He's only got one home run, you know, five strikeouts, no big deal. But here are the t- here are those two numbers: 4.22 batting average and a 510 on base percentage. 5'10". He is getting on base more than half the time. That is ridiculous. That's Bonzian. That's ridiculous. And no, he doesn't hit for a lot of power, but you don't need to when you're getting on base this much. His counting stats aren't anything too, too special outside of the pure hits. Mother of God, he has 38 hits. <laughs> I'm curious, is that league baseball in terms of qualified baseball? Wow, he's actually tied with Ronald Acuna and two other players who I'm not going to mention because maybe Tom will pick them. Uh, yeah, they're both second baseman. Who
0: cares? But eh, whatever. I'm, I'm Luis just going to look it up now anyway that you mention it. So please go on
1: <laughs> <laughs> and take them, whatever. They're not going to be my DHS. So Luis Arise, fantastic bat to ball talent. One of the last remaining bat to ball talents in baseball right now, which I got to give him a lot of credit for. It's a dying art, and when you can master that, it's amazing to watch. He's been so much fun for Miami. It's honestly making that trade look like a dead-even split, Tom. Minnesota just extended Pablo Lopez, and Miami is getting Ichiro levels of success out of Luis Arias. Definitely comfortable taking him with my second
0: pick. Well, that was a very good pick. I will say I would not have picked him number four But there is a very good consideration I could have picked him with the number five pick, who I am going to pick with number four. I'm going to rattle through this very quickly because this is the player who I initially thought Tony was going to go for because I am also going to be taking a third baseman who is arguably better than Max Muncy this year. I say arguably for a reason of his slash line. That is Toronto star Matt Chapman. I'll be taking, and his slash line is absolutely insane, by the way, I would like to point out, I have the two highest war producers in terms of position players for baseball, so just keep that in consideration when voting for Tom Bauer, but Matt Chapman, at any rate, he's got five home runs this year, 16 RBI, no, 16 runs, 19 RBIs, a stolen base, because why not, he's got a slash line that is crazy, 370 for Matt Chapman, who normally hits like 230, yeah, that's insane. 448 and 663, war at 1.7. OPS might be a little outdated, but I see it at 1126 currently on MLB.com. So he is absolutely going insane for the Toronto Blue Jays this year. Are they leading the division? Oh, no, they're not leading the division, of course, because Tampa Bay is (laughs) off to a godly start of 22 and five. The Blue Jays are right behind at 18 and nine. Wow, the Red Sox are only a game and a half back of the Yankees. Dear God in heaven, that's scary. All right, Tony, you can restart the timer because I believe I now have to move on to my next position. And this is actually a bit of a tough call because I want to go in a few different directions, but I don't know necessarily which one I want to go into. I know who I'm going to pick, I think. I don't (laughs) know, but I I know who I'm going to (laughs) pick. I I know there's some people (laughs) in mind. I could, I if I say something, I'm going to reveal my moves. So I'm not going to do that. What I will do is this. I will take the best shortstop in baseball right now by the name of Xander Bogarts. The main reason I'm probably doing this is because he shows up as number three on the war rankings for MLB position players right now. There's another player tied with Xander Bogarts, if I'm looking at fan graphs, that Tony has The possibility of selecting but Xander Bogarts is playing extremely well at to start his contract off in San Diego this is probably a mistake pick by me but I still want to take who I think is the best shortstop in baseball at the moment so you know what I'm just gonna go ahead and do that five home runs 18 runs 12 RBIs a stolen base because why not Three sixteen four oh nine five ten slash. He's got 1.6 WAR again. Number three in baseball, tied with another player. He's playing really well, and again, I think he's the best shortstop in baseball at the moment.
1: Okay, fair enough. Solid pick. I've got a guy in shortstop in mind. I actually forgot Bogarts was doing this good. Yeah. If anything, you've made my decision a little bit easier as to which positions I want to go after because I have my guys written down already. You don't even need to start the clock. I know who I want. My first pick right here, I'm going to dip into the outfield and take the savior of my fantasy team, Jared Kelnick, the breakout star out in Seattle. And mother of God, if there was ever a time for him to break out, of course it would be the year the guy the Mets traded for to get him out of New York is hurt for the year. Lol, Mets reigns supreme. Anyway, let's talk about Jared Kelnick. We talked about him a little bit last episode, but his season so far is ridiculous. Seven home runs on the year with 14 ribbies to it, a slash line of 322, 375, and 644 an OPS above 1,000 at 1019, one of the better war producers in baseball as well. His defense has been really good in the outfield. It used to be kind of suspect, now it is much, much better. He's barreling the ball a lot more than he used to. He's 7th in war, according to Fangraphs, which Tom and I are both looking at, at a crisp 1.4. Something I like about Jared Kelnick's game, the strikeouts have come way down. He still doesn't walk a ton, I'll give him that. His strikeout-to-walk ratio is a bit suspect, 26 walks, 8, sorry, 26 strikeouts, 8 walks. But when you're hitting bombs like Jared Kelnick is, and he's finally found out how to hit off speed pitches, this could be the year where Jared Kelnick becomes a fan favorite in Seattle. And with Julio Rodriguez getting hurt today, now is the perfect time for him to take center stage. And if they're both fully healthy next year, may God help the AL West. Jared Kelnick is my first outfielder. And now Tom, I'm going to go for a position scarcity again as my second pick. I'm going to pick my catcher. Uh, and that catcher is going to come all the way from your fantasy team, my friend. I'm picking John Murphy. I'd rather not. We're recording a podcast.
0: <laughs> God, that was inappropriate.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> who cares? It's a f- show. We could f- curse all the darn hell we want.
0: It's your um, it's your part of the episode, buddy. Have fun editing this f- <laughs> lunacy that is a censor laden <laughs> Bomb on total sh** and a lot of cursing because Tony just took my guy in fantasy and f- him f- Sean Murphy f- everything that's why.
1: Okay, f- you damn it! I just made it hard for myself. Whatever.
0: But let's talk about Sean. Murphy. That's all you get for taking Sean Murphy, mother. F-. There's another one.
1: I, you know I'm gonna win the fan vote, so I don't care. <laughs> Sean Murphy. <laughs> Started out really cold for the Braves, but turned it on big time towards the middle and end of the month. He's got a slash line of 256, 396, and 577. Good for a 973. Six homers, 16 ribbies, 20 hits, which for a catcher, I think that actually leads catchers, if I'm correct. He's 12th in war on this little war chart we've got at 1.3. His defense is as solid as ever. He's got 2.4 defensive war already. That's kind of insane. WRC plus of 161. There's nothing not to like about Sean Murphy this point in the year, and they got him for dirt cheap because Oakland is selling off anything of value. Good on you, Alex Anthopoulos and the Braves, and good on me for picking him.
0: Yeah, f- you for picking him. Ah, oh, God, I'm just, that made me teed off. Oh, God,
1: <laughs> I'm happy I got that much of a rise out of you. Let's go.
0: Of course you did, you little. Sh- at any rate, let me move on here. And I was going to pick Sean Murphy. I was going to pick Jared Kalnick. So now I have to make a decision of where I'm going to go next. And it's going to be a little bit difficult because Tony took the position I wanted to go for at catcher. He only has one outfielder, though. So I get a choice of outfielders that I can pick if I so want to. And I think I'm going to take an outfielder away from him. And I'm going to go out to the sunny state of California to pick a rookie who is absolutely tearing it apart for the Los Angeles Dodgers by the name of James Outman. number eight in terms of the war scale in MLB. He's got seven home runs, 15 runs, 20 RBIs for a rookie. This is insane. He's going to be the next Dodgers rookie of the year to possibly fizzle out. Two stolen bases. <laughs> A 278, 363, and a 622 slash line for a rookie. That is really, really good to start the year. And honestly, good for James Altman as well. A 933 OPS, if you so care about that stat. I did have my pick of guys who I wanted to go with. And you know what? I chose to get to be the guy who is looking to get a Dodgers player on his roster. So, I will do that and steal an outfielder from Tony. Now, where I go next is going to be probably another controversial decision. If I'm looking at positions, we have not touched first base yet, and I think I want to dip into first base. Not by necessarily the sexiest player out there, but a guy who gets it done... In ways that you might not realize. That is Yandi Diaz, who I am going to be taking. Tony has a reaction that makes me think he was going to pick him next.
1: I may have, but I'm also laughing at the fact that I think that's how everybody has ever described Yandi Diaz as like, oh, he's not a star, but you know what? He's a blue collar player. He gets the job done. Like, dude's casually got a thousand OPS.
0: he sure is he got mvp votes last year like he honestly had a good year last year and it it doesn't even seem like it to be honest i didn't even know he got mvp votes like (laughs) last he had a 401 obp last year that's why he's an on-base machine that's true he doesn't get it done necessarily in the specialty numbers that are the triple crown numbers let's say but he's damn sure making himself a name for himself this year he's got 1.1 war which is okay seven home runs 22 runs and 16 RBIs with a slash of 319, 409, and 585. There's another first baseman I could have taken, but guess what? I like Yandy Diaz's numbers better. They jump out to me more, and I want to diversify the team a little bit more. So you know what? That's fine with me. I'm sitting pretty right now with Yandy Diaz as my next pick.
1: Okay, that's fine. Um, okay. Okay. I definitely need another outfielder. As good as my boy Jared Kelnick is, he needs a friend out there. He actually needs two friends out there. So I think I found the outfielder I'm going to take. There were a few options, but I think the one I'm going to take is probably not someone anyone really thought was going to be much of an impact player this point in the year. Although he was a highly touted prospect not too long ago, he's coming in in big ways over in Philadelphia. He's going to be my center fielder. He's going to be Brandon Marsh. Now this guy... Flew so far under the radar for me. He was a free agent in the Diamond Duo Fantasy League. And by the time my eyes, act, I actually woke up and I realized, holy Christ, he led the league in OPS for a little bit there. He was already gone. So big rip on me for not picking him up. Big plus to the guy who actually did pick him up. He's picking up a guy with a 341, 426, 671 slugging. Good for 1097 on the OPS ticker. War, singing sitting at a crisp... not the best fielder out there, but what he does with the bat has been tremendous so far. Insanely fast, not to mention he's already stolen a base, not been caught yet. He does have the same problem as Kelnick where he is striking out a bit, but he's at least walking a little more than Jared is. Counting stats, he's got four dingers, seven doubles, four triples actually, which is towards the league lead, if not outright the league lead, 14 ribbies, 17 runs, and 28 hits. Brandon Marsh is definitely, I think, the most underrated player in baseball right now, if only because I've not heard anybody talking about him. Not MLB's Twitter, not anybody online. He really deserves more recognition for a Phillies lineup that's been largely neutered with Trey Turner and Kyle Schwarber slumping. So, good on Brandon Marsh. He's going to be my pick. Okay, Tom. We've gone way too long without talking about Garrett Cole. So, I'm going to do that.
0: Of course you are. I'm going to
1: take my... I'm going to take my starter, and I'm going to take the major league leader in pitcher war. According to Baseball Reference, he's actually the leader in all war right now at 2.3, and he has, beyond any shadow of a doubt, been the best pitcher in baseball through April. 40 innings, which, by the way, leads baseball 40 and two-thirds to be precise. His numbers are as follows. 1.11 ERA. One complete game shutout out of six starts He's got 44 strikeouts, he's got 11 walks, a whip of .84, and a grand total of zero home runs given up. Suck it to everyone who said he gives up too many homers. Granted, that might also be myself, but you know what? (laughs) I like being wrong about stuff like this, stuff that makes the Yankees look good, because not a lot looks good about the Yankees right now. Except for Garrett Cole. He's easily been the best pitcher in baseball. There's honestly a lot of pitchers we could have picked. There's a lot of pitchers breaking out right now. But I think Cole's the easiest one to pick. He's just been the most dominant.
0: He's my ace. All right, Tony, fair play. I was tempted to go pitcher, but you've already played the starting pitcher card. So guess what? I'm going to play the relief pitcher card. And I'm going to take the person who's been by far the best closer in baseball to start the year Also, on my fantasy team, I'd also like to point out there are two league leaders in saves this year. Both of them are on my fantasy team. By the way, four of them are actually tied with the league lead, but that's fine. I'm going to take the best one. I'm going to take David Bednar as my relief pitcher. By far the best reliever this year. 2-0 record, a .69 ERA, which, you know, the way to my heart already. He's got nine saves in 13 innings pitched. He's given up one earned run, one walk, to 17 strikeouts. A whip of .69. That's even better. I'm going to round of applause again. (laughs) And he's giving up a batting average of 163 to opponents. David Bednar is absolutely electric this year. And because Tony took the best starting pitcher, I am going to take the best relief pitcher. Now, where does that leave me in terms of things on the position player scale, because I'm not going to take my other starting pitcher yet, because that wouldn't make sense to do. So I'm looking at both of our teams. We both have two outfielders. I could pick another one if I wanted to. We both have a third baseman. I don't have a second baseman. Tony doesn't have a first baseman. I don't have a catcher, and we both don't have a DH, and we also don't have a third outfielder, but whatever. What I'm going to do is I'm going to eliminate a player that Tony could possibly take as his DH. And I'm also going to fill in a position that I need as well. Actually, wait, am I going to do that? Actually, no, that would be stupid. I'm going to do something even better and I'm going to fill out my outfield. I'm going to take Brandon Nemo here. Mainly because, again, he has a fantastic slash line. I also may have tipped my hand at who I'm going to go with next, but that's too bad. I am going to fill out my outfield by going Brandon Nemo. Two home runs, 16 runs, 13 RBIs, three stolen bases with 1.6 war. I'd like to point out, if anybody cares at all, I have the top four war producers in baseball as of April 29th on my team. So I would just like to point that out. Brandon Nemo's slash line is even better. 330, 435, 457. He's got 1.6 war. Still a tremendous outfielder and probably the best remaining outfielder available. I'm going to fill out my outfield with three of the top outfielders of the month of April.
1: Okay, that's fair. But I'm going to do you something a little better. Are you? I am also going to fill out my outfield. Of course you will. I don't really... Uh, you mentioned something about another hitter that like you may have tipped your hand. I'm really curious as to what you mean by that when I pick this next guy. Because maybe this is him, maybe it's not him. But... I don't know, man. This Mike Trout guy still looks really, really, really good. And does look pretty I, good. And I can't not take him. He's the last guy on this little chart I've got here with players who have 1,000 OPS or more. And Trout probably got the guy the most familiar with this position. He's slashing 320, 408, 612. And by the way, he hit two more home runs tonight to the chagrin of my fantasy team. So that actually gives him nine home runs on the season, 18 ribbies, or however many more ribbies the home runs gave him, 14 walks, 31 strikeouts, which is a bit, but you know what, when you're Mike Trout and you hit donkey bombs all day long, you don't care about the strikeouts, 1.3 fangrass war, he is a fantastic player, you knew this already, he's going to be in my outfield to round it all out. So where do I want to go from here? I feel like the smart thing to do is to take my DH. Just take the best hitter left so Tom does not have him. Because I've got my second, third, second and third baseman, all my outfield, my catcher, and my starter. Tom has a shortstop and a first baseman, so it doesn't make sense for me to fill those yet. It makes sense just to go for the best slugger left. The absolute biggest masher of bombs you can possibly imagine. Uh, I am going to take my DH here, and you know what? I'm going to make it another outfielder. Actually, you know what? You know what? Wait, this is dumb. Tom already has his whole outfield. I want to fill these positions before he could take them as mm. his DH, because I just realized he could do that. In that case, I am going to take my shortstop. This may be this may be a dumb pick, but I don't want you taking anybody. Potentially, as your DH to screw me over, Wander Franco is going to be my shortstop. This guy right here started off red hot. To the season. He looked like an MVP straight out the gate. He's cooled down, but he is still hitting
0: insanely well. Also, on my fantasy team, I would like to point out he's been one of my MVPs. Oh, who cares about that? <laughs> That's not important right
1: now. What's important right now is the fact that Wander Franco is slashing 292, 353, and 519. It's not quite an OPS at 1,000, but you are kissing 900 right there, which for a shortstop, that's really good. 1.3 defensive war. He's been fantastic in the field. K rate has actually come down quite a bit. He is striking out 16.4% of the time. Walk rate still a bit low like Jared Kelnick, which is a bit concerning, but he's putting the bat on the ball. That's all that matters. His BABIP actually suggests he's getting a little bit unlucky, which is kind of hilarious to me because the thought of him going crazy towards the end of the year scares the bejesus out of me. He's already got a 147 weighted runs created, plus definitely a guy I'd want at shortstop. He's the best one left. Definitely going to take him with my last pick here.
0: Good for you, Tony, and I'll do you a solid, you don't even have to start your timer, because I already know the next two players I'm going to pick, before I believe we can actually just get into the rapid fire round, if I'm not mistaken. The first player I'm going to pick is my second baseman, that I'm happy you didn't pick him, because I love collecting war collectors, and Marcus Semyon sure is a collector of war, Mm -hmm. Five home runs, 24 runs, which might be a league leading. Also, 23 RBIs, which is definitely near the top. He's stolen three bases. Has an, uh, excuse me, a slash line of 288, 364, and 490. He's also got 1.4 war in baseball. Oh, by the way, now I have um five of the top six uh, war producers in baseball. I would just like to point that out again. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Tony's not happy about that. He probably beats me in the he probably yet. beats me in the OPS game, but I beat him where it matters most. obviously, that's war now this is probably going to be a controversial pick, but I am purely going for the possible vote here because I know someone will vote on our poll, and I know their favorite player is Cody Bellinger. I'm going to take Cody <laughs> Bellinger as my designated hitter. Oh God, I didn't think I'd be saying. That.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, the marketing pick. (laughs) My one weakness. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: Hi, Nicolette. (laughs) Shout out. (laughs) Oh, God. I need the votes, and I'm purely dipping into the vote market here. But in all fairness, Cody Bellinger is actually having a really good start to the season for the Chicago Cubs, who, by the way, I picked second to finish in the NL Central, and that's not actually looking half bad. Cody Bellinger is 10th in OPS at the moment we are recording with a 981 OPS, and he has 1.1 war, but he's also got 5 home runs, 19 runs, 15 RBIs, 4 stolen bases the big man can run. He's also got a slash line, which is honestly very, very respectable, of 298, 375, and 560. Playing very well to begin the year, and I am a hack. I am totally going for the vote here. Otherwise, there's a good chance I would have picked somebody else, but that's perfectly fine. I can sell for a vote. That is perfectly fine, especially if you're playing the way Cody Bellinger has played to begin the year. Okay, so
1: now comes the final round, and since we realistically can't screw each other over anymore, since we both took a little bit long to pick our D.H., I'm just going to rattle off my last three picks. I've got a first baseman, a DH, and a closer left. I'm going to leave the closer till last because I'm stuck between two closers and I don't know how to pick. I'm going to go with my DH first. I didn't think you were going to go Bellinger, so I'm going to pick the guy I originally wanted. And that, my friend, is Mr. Randy Rosarena. He took his fire and his electrifying play in the World Baseball Classic and carried it over to the bigs, helping fuel Tampa's amazing run so far. Ninth in baseball with a 990 OPS and qualified batters anyway. 333 average, 400 on base, 590 slugging, 7 home runs, 28 ribbies, which is almost, I believe it's second in baseball to Adolis Garcia. 35 hits, 4 doubles, 21 runs, and a nice crisp 10 walks. Again, not a ton of walks on this team, but you know what? They're hitting absolute donkey bombs. That's all that matters for Teams of the Month. All right, Tom, I'm going to beat you at your own game. You know why? Why? I'm going for the marketing pick, too, for my first baseman. Oh, no. Will, this one's for you. Paul Goldschmidt.
0: Of course you are.
1: (laughs) I almost picked Matt Olsen, but I realized, A, how much more war Goldschmidt has, and B, they're actually way more similar in offensive output than I thought they were. So Paul Goldschmidt picking right up from his MVP season, not quite at the same level, but is still hitting a very respectable 307-412-525 slash line. He has got four home runs, which isn't a ton, but he's also walking just as much as he strikes out. So with Goldschmidt, I'm limiting the strikeout numbers on my team. He's got 31 hits up there with some of the very best in baseball, and he's actually stolen three bases already without being caught, which for a guy like Paul Goldschmidt, I did not think he'd be running like this. So good for him, good for my team. I've got a remnant from last year's playoff, uh, excuse me, last year's fantasy team. All right, so now it's time for me to pick my closer. This is literally splitting hairs for some of the best closers in baseball right now. Although I will say, I'm going to lean, just just so we're not here forever, I'm going to lean and pick Josh Hader for two reasons. Number one, he's been the closer the whole year, so he's been exposed to more high-pressure situations, and he's performed more in those high-leverage situations. And number two, even though Alvarado is better at limiting base runners, Hayter is better at limiting contact, i.e. the lower average against. Plus, he's playing for a San Diego Padres team that doesn't have a ton of bright spots right now. Granted, you could say that about the Phillies. And Hayter is definitely shining far above the rest, especially in that pitching staff. Uh, Cough, cough, Joe Musgrove. Thanks for ruining my fantasy team tonight but yeah josh Hader, one of the best closers in baseball for some time now i don't need to go on too much longer y'all already know this that's my completed team tom go ahead and finish yours out
0: i sure will boss man i'll just start with my catcher because i so desperately wanted sean murphy i instantly knew the number two option was jonah heim doing great things for the texas rangers at 1.1 war not far behind sean murphy's 1.3 war with numbers in less games and less at bats played than Sean Murphy. So keep in mind, he probably could have caught up to Sean Murphy. Actually surpasses him in some categories with four home runs, 14 runs, 19 RBIs, and a slash of 286, 370, and 529. And his OPS, I don't even have on MLB's page anymore. Does it really matter? That is Jonah Heim. That is my pick. The reason I don't have that OPS on my other page is I was actually looking on MLB.com for OPS, but I decided to filter by pitching there, and I kind of knew this when Tony picked Garrett Cole, that I would have to go with the best pitcher in the National League up to this point, which is Brave Sensation Spencer Strider, with a 3-0 record, a 180 ERA, 49 strikeouts, 11 walks. He's given up six earned runs on the year, only one home run. He's got a whip of 0.83 and he has a opponent batting average of 136. Oh, by the way, I'd like to point out these numbers are within 10 innings less than Garrett Cole. Yes, Spencer Strider's pitched 30 innings. Garrett Cole's pitched 40 in two thirds. So you can argue Spencer Strider is a better pitcher with less innings pitched if you want to do it that way. Whoa, whoa, whoa,
1: whoa. Innings are outs, my friend. More innings is a good thing for starting pitchers.
0: More innings is great, but you can argue Garrett Cole has been exposed to more, which can make his stats all the more better. Now, that being said, his ERA is much better than Spencer Strider's, although to be fair, it's only a matter of one run and then the innings and all that. My argument is that Spencer Strider, if he and Garrett Cole had the same amount of innings pitched, would probably be near identical in some aspects that being said Spencer Strider is going to be my pitcher that I take as my starter and that will complete my team of the month and that completes the teams of the month segment it's a favorite segment I think of mine and Tony at least it's a favorite to me I don't know if it's a favorite for Tony as well but we have completed the first annual edition for the 2023 season We will post the stats and the voting on our Instagram page at some point, possibly Twitter too, but Twitter sucks nowadays, so we might not use Twitter. Just follow our social media pages, The Diamond Dua Podcast on Instagram, at Diamond Dua Pod on Twitter, and we will post the voting on our story on Instagram in the coming days after the episode has been released, along with a stat graphic to go with it, so that way we break everything down. As well, I'll even be redesigning the stack graphic a little bit, so that way it's a little bit more clear to see which players are actually who, and you don't just have to guess based off of the headshot. So go vote when that is. But I'd say, Tony, we actually made out pretty well. We've got a diverse cast of characters that I don't think we've ever had in a team of the month before, and we've honestly both got two solid teams.
1: Yeah, no, definitely did. Got some under-the-radar guys, got some headlining studs. April teams of the month is always my favorite because, you know, When you get to August, when you get to September, like this time last year, or not this time, but yeah, August, September last year, oh wow, Paul Goldschmidt, the eventual MVP, he's great every month, go figure, Aaron Judge, same thing, you know, you start to see familiar faces. I said this when I picked Max Muncy, I don't know if he's going to be on the thing next month, I don't know if any of these guys are going to be on the graphic next month, you know, Brandon Marsh, who knows if he keeps it up, some guys are probably going to get better, who have started off very, very slow. It's good. I like seeing the April teams of the month. It's it's more weird than the mm-hmm. other ones. Yes. I, I actually think I picked Jonah Heim this time last year, too. So, love it in that regard. Definitely go check out those graphics, folks. They're going to look great. And be sure to vote for me, because I clearly had the better team. That, that is not safe. a factual
0: statement. I would like to interrupt you and say <laughs> that is not a factual <laughs> statement. Go vote for Tom Bauer. Mm. We will see. Anywho, that'll just about do <laughs> it for this episode of the Diamond Duo
1: Podcast. Got through everything we needed to discuss. Tom before I run out of breath saying that sentence, have you anything else to say?
0: I don't really have anything else to say because we've been recording for over two hours and ten minutes, so I will just say thank you for listening into the Diamond Duo podcast. Hopefully we'll have another episode in the near future. If not next week, two weeks. Just remember, go follow us, go vote, and go check out our baseball cards if you haven't already. They are sick, and that is our most liked post on Instagram of all time. I would like to point out, Thank you all, if you are listening, for liking that post. It is sick.
1: Thank you so much for that. Kudos again to Tom with his wicked Photoshop skills, putting those cards together. And that being said, it's about time to end this one, folks. Thank you again so, so much for listening to episode 61 of the Diamond Duo podcast. Like we've said ad nauseum, please go, pardon me, ad infinitum please go follow us on social media, at Pod on Twitter, the Podcast on Instagram. Keep your eyes peeled for those. Teams of the Month graphics, be sure to vote, and we will announce the winner in the next episode. Until then, we will see you next time. Take care, everyone.